Okay, uh, I've, I've got 10 seconds. Okay, 10 seconds. Here we go. Wow. Um, what am I going to say? How, where do I start? Let me just say that the most important thing... Okay, um, that wasn't very good. That didn't work. Okay, let's, let's, let's try again. Okay. Well, it sure is cold outside, isn't it? I mean, like 11 degrees. That's really cold. And let me tell you something else that reminds me of... Okay, man, I didn't do that. Okay, 10 seconds. Here we go. Oh, I can't do this. I can do this. I can do this. Okay, okay. How about them cowboys? I mean, they're great. I mean, they're... They're winners. I mean, they know how to win. And you know what else? You know how you can be a... Oh, man. Okay. Oh, I've got this. i got this. Okay. Okay. One more time. Okay, I got this. Hey, I, I, I know you got some things going on in, in your life, and I just want to know, would, would you like to play? I mean, pray. I mean, oh, I missed it up. Oh, oh, okay. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Um, uh, okay. Um, two words. First word. Okay. Okay. Oh, this is not working. Why can't I just do this? Hey, hey, you know what, would, would you like to come to church with me on Sunday? You know what, it's going to be really cold. You probably don't want to come. I, I bet you, that was a bad question. I'm sorry. Why did I do that? What was I thinking? Okay, okay, ten seconds. Go. Um, you know what else is cool? My preacher. You should come to church because he's really cool. He does some amazing things. You know, you just need forgiveness, you know, because you're a sinner and, and you do really bad. No, 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 you don't do really bad things. You're really good. I didn't mean what I said about that. I mean, what? have you ever tried to share the gospel with someone and you don't really know how to do it? There's someone who's hurting or someone who's broken and, and there's an opportunity that you have and you just, you fumble. You talk about the weather, or you talk about the cowboys, or, or you try to say something, and, and you get fumbled up, and you, I don't know what to do. Or maybe there's times where you start to invite them, but before you give them an opportunity to say yes, you excuse them, and say, oh no, I'm sure you really wouldn't want to do that. Well, this morning, I think it's appropriate that as we talk about the mission of God's people, that we discuss why... As God's people, we proclaim the message. And I say it's good timing because we are just seven days away from a time where a good portion of the world will be celebrating Christmas. And while that may mean Hatchimals and stockings and Santa Claus and sleeping in late or getting up really early to look under the tree... Really, we celebrate Christmas, and it opens the opportunity to talk about Christmas as being the birth 
of Jesus. I mentioned to some people uh, last week that as, as Gracie was getting ready for her Christmas party, uh, she, she was excited about it, and I said, she says, but it's not anybody's birthday. And I said, no, it really is. It's Jesus' birthday. And she says, no, it's not. And I said, yes, it is. Christmas is, is a time that we celebrate the birth of Jesus, whenever it happened. And so now she's going around saying, it's God's birthday coming up. And she's ready to count down the days and celebrate. But for many of us, it's hard and I want to talk about why it is hard. Why, why can we talk about so many other things? We can talk about politics, and we can talk about sports, we can talk about the weather, we can talk about restaurants that we've been to. We find it easy to talk about other things. We'll recommend movies and trips and restaurants to friends and even acquaintances. We'll sit around and we'll talk about our phones, about the weather, or our favorite team. But so often, we find it difficult to talk about who Jesus is and what He's done for us. Well, maybe we should back this up with Scripture, and we should go through. And if you look in the original text of the New Testament, there are 15 different Greek words that talk about this idea of sharing. Uh, we have words like caruso, which that means uh, to proclaim the gospel. Uh, eongelion, which is to preach, and that's where we get our words angel, because it's a message that we are preaching out. We have the word didasko, which means to teach. This is found in the New Testament. And parakaleo, which is to entreat or beseech. But the one word I want to talk about this morning that we find in the Greek that's also in your bulletin, and you looked at it and thought, what in the world is Angie doing? She has no idea how to spell. That's not an English word. Because the title of our topic uh, today is in Greek. And it's the word laleo. And this actually is used quite frequently in the New Testament when specifically Paul is talking to the people that he is writing to and he says, I want you to laleo. He says, I want you to speak the story. I want you to tell the story. I want you to talk about the story. Too many times we assume that this role belongs specifically to a minister or to a preacher. And while we find that in the Bible, when he says didasco, that we are supposed to teach, and there are other times caruso is used to talk about we are to preach, laleo is used frequently by Paul because he's not talking simply to ministers or preachers. People who work inside a, a church or have some sort of title. He would argue that all of us are ministers and all of us should laleo, we should tell, we should speak of, and we should talk about the story. The story that changed our lives. Well, we could go back and we can look in Matthew chapter 28 and it gives this great commission. There's this command that says that you're supposed to do something. That you're supposed to go out into all the world and preach the good news. To speak of it, to let others know about it. And surely you are somewhat motivated by that. But I pray that that is not your only motivation. That Bill Jarrett, your only motivation to share the gospel is not because God said so. 
Well, Jesus said before he left that we should go tell other people about the gospel, so maybe we should do it. You know, I really appreciated what Dale said in his communion thoughts. He says, we do this because we love the Lord. We remember this time. Not just because the Bible showed it as an example. We do it because we love. Has anybody ever uh, been in a situation that, that there was life or death, uh, maybe with like a, a choking? Have you ever seen that where someone was choking and you thought something needed to be done? This is a really scary time, isn't it? Have you ever thought, man, that guy's choking. And I think the law says that I'm supposed to help him. And I don't really want to, but the law says it. I guess I'll get up and go over there. You ever see anybody drowning? It, just, just this past summer, uh, we were at uh, my in-laws, and there's a little public pool there that we went to, uh, and there's no lifeguard on duty, and there was just a handful of folks there. Mainly it was, it was uh, my wife and her sisters and, and their husbands and then the kids. They were down on the shallow end. Well, there was uh, an adult that pulled up in their little uh, golf cart, and the kid hopped out. And his, his brother was coming behind him, but his brother wasn't quite as excited about the water as this little three-, four-year-old boy was. And he blew through the gate, he went and he jumped in the water. Dad's still hanging out by the golf cart. Brother is just kind of working his way up there. And we look and we realize that the four-year-old boy jumped into the deep end and he cannot swim. And so then there was a conversation. Should we do something about this? We went and read the rules on the sign that says... Okay, don't run. Okay. Uh, don't horseplay. And unfortunately, at the very bottom, it said, if you see someone drowning, a little kid, you have to go help them. And so we decided that it was a rule, and everybody felt really uncomfortable about it. So we did rock, paper, scissors to decide who was going to go in and get this kid. Can you imagine a scenario in which that really played out? I don't really want to get the kid. I would rather not do it, but it's against the law. I have to do it. I've been told I need to do it. It took about a half a second for us to figure out that kid is going to drown if somebody doesn't get in there. No rules, no thinking, no phone. (laughs) We threw out the phone and then went in after the kid. There was not a lot of discussion. We didn't think, what if it embarrasses the kid? Maybe maybe he wants to be in that situation. Maybe it's the responsibility of the parent who's sitting back there. They should do something about it. We didn't talk about all the things that's wrong with the world. We didn't talk about how we could, you know, fix it by, you know, filling up every swimming pool with cement. It was, somebody is in trouble, let's help them. You ever see a kid run out into the middle of the road? See a car coming? (laughs) That kid, he shouldn't be there. This is going to get ugly. 
You think there's a long discussion? You think you just get out in the road and grab that little kid and save him? You know, when we talk about sharing the gospel with other people, we really need to talk about the motives for why we do it. I think we all know that the motive for sharing the gospel with other people is not just so we can, you know, follow some kind of command. And, and for some of us, we don't want to talk about the gospel because we're afraid that that might embarrass them or it might offend them. And so my question is, why would you share it in the first place? If you honestly believe that Jesus is your Savior, raise your hand. Okay, okay. Saving Savior means that you believe that He saved you. That you were lost, you were broken, you were choking, you were drowning, you were playing out in the middle of the road and you were going to die and He came in and He saved you. And because of that, you are so thankful that you're saved, right? Oh, it's not that early and cold. And you're grateful and thankful that you're saved, right? Yes! It's life changing. You are dead and you're alive. Do you ever walk around and say, man, I wish I'd died anyway. I wish, I wish Jesus hadn't saved me. I wish I didn't have eternity with a God who loves me. I wish I was just, you know, going to spend my life and the, my eternity in hell. That's what I really wanted. Do you ever have that conversation? Of course not. You're thankful. You're grateful. It's why you're here this morning. Because you want to remember what He did for you and you want to celebrate what He did for you. You're not upset that somebody shared the gospel with you. You're grateful. And yet for some reason, we think that if we tell other people how they can be saved, that that might be like an inconvenience to them. If we really think they're choking and they're drowning and they're going to die, aren't we kind of doing them a favor? By talking about Jesus? Throwing them a rope? Giving them a lifeline? Shouldn't we be excited about the opportunity of getting to save someone's life? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. And all of you, you know the Bible so well, you're thinking, Luke chapter 15, we know what's in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is the story of the prodigal son. And it is about the prodigal son, but we're not going to spend the whole time because I want to get to 16, but I can't do 16 without talking about 15 for a second. So if we're going to mention 15, I better back up to 14. <laughs> so in Luke chapter 14, Jesus gives the cost of following Him. If any man come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Anyone who loses his life for my sake will find it. That's basically what he's saying in Luke chapter 14 towards the end. And he talks about building a tower and you want to be prepared. You want to make sure everything is ready. And then he talks about salt. He says salt is only good uh, if it um, has saltiness. And he said if it's not salty, it's no good. You just throw it out uh, on the manure pile. Okay, so then he's going to say this. He says, okay, there is a cost for following me. He says, but, this is where Luke 15 comes in. 
There is such excitement in partnering with me to save lives. And he says, let me give you an example. He says, you want to know about exciting? Imagine that there's a shepherd who loses one of his sheep. He loves his sheep. He loses his sheep. And he goes out and he searches for his sheep. And when he finds the sheep, he gets the rod and he smacks it. And he goes back and he makes a list of rules for all the other sheep to tell them what not to do. No! He finds the sheep and what does he do? Oh, come on. What does he do? He rejoices. He's excited. Do you think the sheep is happy? Of course he is. The sheep was lost and now he's found. What about this woman who she's looking around and she realizes that she has a coin that's missing. And she searches the house high, high and low. She cleans everything. She looks under there and look underneath the cupboard is the lost coin. And what does she do? She rejoices because something was lost and then it was found. There was excitement in being a part of this uh, process of salvation. And then we have the more lengthy story of the young man who leaves home. He gets lost. And the story is still about, this parable is still about being excited about what Jesus does for us. When the boy returns, the father does what? I'm not letting you in my house. No! He what? He rejoices! Because he says what? This son of mine was lost and now he's found! It's really great stuff! Do you think the son is going, Man, I wish my dad hadn't taken me back. Of course not! The son is amazed by the grace and mercy that his father offered to him. It's exciting. People want to be a part of that. Uh, In Luke chapter 16, we have the parable of the shrewd manager. Such a weird uh, parable. And we sometimes struggle to figure out what it's talking about. Because this guy does some things and you think, oh, that's not really right. At the end of the story... We have the master says, hey, good job. You know, I was going to fire you and I'm still going to fire you, but you made some deals with some of my clients, so they're going to treat you well. And the master commends the shrewd servant because he made the most of every opportunity. And so then we have in Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19, we have yet another parable. And there's some question because there is a name given to one of the people and they say, well, this can't be a parable. This has to be a true story. I think we have to be very careful. I think there's one thing that Jesus is trying to teach through this parable. And we've seen it in the last four parables. So listen to this right here. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came to lick his sores. What a poor lot Lazarus is. Time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him up to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and he was buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. 
So we called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And so a lot of people have read this and said, Oh, Jesus is describing what heaven must be like. And I don't know what heaven's like. But... I struggle to think that Jesus, in the middle of all these parables, talking about the urgency of the gospel and the excitement of sharing with other people, he's going to stop and say, oh, by the way, let's talk about what heaven looks like. This is really the point as we get to it in in verse 27. This is what he says. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. This is what Jesus is really getting at. He said before, like the shrewd manager, don't waste any opportunities. He's telling the rich man right here through the story of the rich man, don't miss out. Don't wait till it's too late. There's a gospel. It is good news. It's worth sharing. So tell everybody. And this is where it's so interesting. I just love how Jesus shapes this parable. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them and listen to the the prophetic language here. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And these words strike home and listen what Jesus would say. He said to them, even, uh, he says, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus is prophesying what, what he would do and that there still would be people who wouldn't listen. But what Luke 16 is trying to say is this. Don't miss out on an opportunity. Luke chapter 15 says, you need to rejoice that you have a story to tell. And you're not burdening people. You're not overwhelming people. You don't throw out a lifesaver to somebody who's drowning the hoop and say, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. You may not really want that. If you believe that you're saved, you also believe that you are lost. And yet we find it so difficult to share with other people. Many years ago, as I was beginning in youth ministry, I came across a story. Some of of you may have heard this story. This is probably one of the stories that has impacted me. And over the last 20 or so years as I've read this, this has hit home. This is a story written by a, a now a preacher by the name of Joshua Harris. And I want to take just a few minutes to read this with you this morning. It's entitled, The Room. In that place between wakefulness and dreams, I found myself in the room. 
There were no distinguishing features save for one wall covering covered with small index files. They were like the ones in libraries that list titles by author or subject in alphabetical order. But these files, which stretched from floor to ceiling and seemingly endless in either direction, had very different headings. As I drew near the wall of files, the first to catch my attention was the one that read, Girls I Have Liked. I opened it and began flipping through the cards. I quickly shut it, shocked to realize that I recognized the names written on each one. And then without being told, I knew exactly where I was. This lifeless room with its small files was a crude catalog system for my life. Here were written the actions of my every moment, big and small, in a detail my memory couldn't match. A sense of wonder and curiosity coupled with horror stirred within me as I began randomly opening files and exploring their content. Some brought joy and sweet memories, others a sense of shame and regret so intense that I would look over my shoulder to see if anyone was watching me. A file named Friends was next to one marked Friends that I have betrayed. The titles ranged from the mundane to the outright weird. Books I have read, lies I have told, comfort I have given, jokes I have laughed at. Some were almost hilarious in their exactness. Things that I yelled at my brothers. Others I couldn't laugh at. Things that I've done in my anger. Things that I have muttered under my breath. I never ceased to be surprised at their contents. Often there were many more cards than I expected. Sometimes there were fewer than I'd hoped. I was overwhelmed by the sheer volume of the life that I've lived. Could it be possible that I had in the time of my 20 years to write each of these thousands or millions of cards? But each card confirmed this truth. Each one was written in my own handwriting. Each one signed with my own signature. When I pulled out the file marked songs I've listened to, I realized that the file boxes grew to contain their contents. The cards were packed tightly, and yet after two or three yards, I hadn't found the end of the file. I shut it. Shame not so much by the quality of the music, but more by the vast amount of time that I knew that it represented. When I came to a file marked lustful thoughts, I felt a chill run through my body. I pulled the file open only an inch, not willing to test its size. I drew out a card. I shuddered at its detailed content. I felt sick to think that such a moment had been recorded. An almost instant animal rage broke out in me. One thought dominated my mind. No one must ever see these cards. No one must ever see this room. I have to destroy him. In an in, insane frenzy, I yanked out the file, uh, the file out. The size didn't matter anymore. I had to empty it and burn the cards. But as, I took, but as I took it out one end and began pounding on the floor, I could not lodge a single card. I became desperate and I did manage to pull out just one card only to find it was strong as steel when I tried to tear it. Defeated and utterly ho- helpless, 
I returned the file to its slot. Leaning my forehead against the wall, I let out a long, self-pitying sigh. And then I saw it. The title bore, People I Have Shared the Gospel With. The handle was brighter than those around it, newer, almost unused. I pulled on its handle, and a small box, not more than three inches long, fell into my hands. I could count the cards it contained on one hand. And then the tears came. I began to weep, sobbed so deep that they hurt. They started in my stomach and they shook through me. I fell on my knees and I cried. I cried out of shame from the overwhelming shame of it all. The rows of files, shelves swirled in my tear-filled eyes. No one must ever, ever know of this room. I must lock it up and hide the key. But then, as I pushed away the tears, I saw him. No, please, not him, not here. Oh, anyone but Jesus. I watched helplessly as he began to open the files and read the cards. I couldn't bear to watch his response. And in the moments I could bring myself to look at his face, I saw a sorrow deeper than my own. He seemed to intuitively go to the worst boxes. Why did he have to read everyone? Finally, he turned and looked at me from across the room. He looked at me with a pity in his eyes. But this was a pity that didn't anger me. I simply dropped my head, covered my face with my hands, and began to cry again. He walked over, and he put his arm around me. He could have said so many things, but he didn't say a word. He just cried with me. Then he got up and he walked back to the wall of files. Starting at one end of the room, he took out a file and one by one, he began to sign his name over mine on every card. No! I shouted, rushing to him. All I could find the word to say was, No! No! His name shouldn't be on these cards, but, but there it was, written in red, so rich, so dark, so alive. The name of Jesus covered mine. It was written with His blood. He gently took the cards smiled a sad smile, and began to sign the rest of them. I don't think I'll understand how he did it so quickly, but the next instant it seemed I heard him close the last file and walk by my side. He placed his hand on my shoulder and he said, It is finished. I stood up and he led me out of the room. There was no lock on its door. There were still cards written we all have a room that catalogs our every thought our every word our every action and probably for every single one of us we are ashamed to think of the things that we have said or the things that we've done or the time that it took to do some of those things whether good or bad And Jesus came into our lives and He says, I bear that 
sin, it becomes mine. It's not your name on it anymore. It's not what you said, it's what I said. It's not what you did, it's what I did. I take your sins and I separate them from you and I carry them. And we are left with an opportunity to rejoice and to know that this is what being saved really is like. And we walk out of that room. And all of us, we need to realize that everybody else has a room. And they need Jesus. They don't need an update on the weather. They don't need to know that your favorite team is the Cowboys. They need Jesus. Like a starving dog out on the street needs food, you're not going to push it away. Like a little child in the street, like someone drowning in the water, they need to know about Jesus. Don't be afraid. God has placed you in, in people's lives to reach out and save them. No more excuses, no more fears. You tell them, this is the story of Jesus. He saved my life and He can save yours. And give them an opportunity to reach out and grab that ring that can pull them back in. And we get to be a part of that. This week, as we get ready for the birthday of Jesus, whether it happens December 25th or not, this is an opportunity for us to proclaim to Laleo to speak and talk about Jesus. And I pray that you will make every opportunity to do this. Pray about it. Think about it. Plot who and where you're going to be when you talk about the gospel to them and let it be exciting like the sheep that was lost and has found the coin that has been retrieved or the son that comes back home. Let us rejoice as we tell the story of Jesus. Let's do it with joy as we stand and sing.